You're listening to Nightlight. Hello and welcome to another current events edition of Nightlight. And the event that's current right now, of course, is the coronavirus crisis that's brought the whole world to a grinding halt and put something like 3 billion people under virtual house arrest. Here in Uganda, we've just been told that we're going to be locked down for another three weeks, even though we've only had very few cases compared with other countries and no serious cases needing ventilators and no deaths. Meanwhile, the poor are greatly suffering from hunger and not being able to get to hospitals for treatment for all the other diseases that Africans die every day of. I mean, it's crazy. All over the world, fear has replaced not just faith, but also just plain common sense and rational thinking. Anyway, once again on the show, and to help us make some sense of this mess, and also, I pray, throw some of the light of God's word on the situation, is Robert Mandelbaum and Stephen Strutt. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. And welcome to the show, Stephen and Robert. You're both in the UK, right? Uh, Stephen, I know that you're in Scotland. And Robert, where in the UK are you speaking to us from? It's somewhere up north, isn't it? I'm nearest to uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Okay. And uh, just about 10 miles west of where I am is a town called uh, Bridgewater, Bridgeport. And it was the northernmost outpost in the entire Roman Empire. So it's a very historical area. And are you under lockdown? What are you experiencing right now? Well, it is in lockdown, but there are still several people out on the street. You're officially allowed to go out once a day for exercise, or if you need to go to the shop to do grocery shopping, you can do that. But aside from that, almost every other uh, shop other than food stores or pharmacies are closed. And the streets are noticeably much quieter and much less pedestrian traffic. Most people seem to observing this uh, social distancing thing and seem to be taking it uh, rather seriously, although the north of England doesn't uh, quite go along with the southern part of England on that. They're a little more uh, independent-minded, let's say. Okay. How is it where you are in Scotland, Stephen? Um, I'd say the same thing from what I can observe. You have to watch yourself now because, I mean, yesterday, I'll give an example directly yesterday i had to go i I i've been staying in the house i we've been keeping the rules actually i've done it for the last month uh, for different reasons but yesterday my daughter calls i was a dad because she's still working she works in a nursing home and but the bus only took her to the next village from us rather than bringing the whole way and she calls me up and she says can you pick me up i thought i'm not gonna like this um um but anyway i said yeah i'll go and pick you up i get there to picking her up and she said where to pick her up right opposite the gas station I pick her up and then I was thinking I haven't been able to check my uh, bank balance for a while because of different reasons and um, I thought I'd sneak into the village there use the machine and I got a check don't do it just turn your car around and drive straight home so I, I turned straight around the next in the next um, uh, intersection to the right turned right around and lo and behold, it's a police car right on my tail observing everything I'm doing. Gosh. And um, here there's been a lot of people stopped by the police really for um, going out of your house without a uh, decent reason. 
Uh, it's just like something out of a movie, you know, but I got a check about it, so I turned around and there, I know the police are often very perceptive and they say, oh, he's just picking his daughter, he's just taking her home, fine. They didn't bother me, then they went off to find out whoever else is transgressing the rules of, um, the strict rules of staying home. I actually do agree with the government about these strict rules because in the UK here, we're headed towards having probably one of the worst cases in the world. That's assuming it's all real, right? right. <laughs> that's another thing. But um, that's according to statistics. Uh, the stats here are going through the roof. We're having over a thousand deaths a day right now. Really? And that has been like that for the last five days. And um, I talked with my son on the phone today, and he lives in London, works in London. He says, "Well, Dad, you know why it's happening so bad here? Because the government's too bloody lackadaisical from the outset." That was his opinion, and. Um, <laughs> And he's quite knowledgeable about what's going on, so unfortunately I think it's true because they didn't take it seriously from the outset and they were liberal and lackadaisical as uh, some countries have been, in the West especially, therefore it looks like we're in for a, a bad bout of it. What concerns me the most at the moment is that people don't get stuck in lockdown like we are at the moment for too long a period. Yes. Uh, I think we can handle it for a couple of months, but beyond that, I don't see how most people are going to be able to manage it financially. Right. Paying their bills, uh, or even uh, having the government pay their bills. Uh, it's not going to be good for the economy uh, if this lasts too long. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. One thing that we have to acknowledge, that what is happening in the world today, and in the UK or in the US or wherever, this is something God has allowed to happen. Yes. Now we can look at it that this is because of this failure, that failure, and that is, could very well be the case. But I'm reminded of the scripture in Revelation 17 where God has put it in certain kings' hearts to fulfill his will. I think that's one of the primary things is to remember that God has allowed this. And being that it is Resurrection Day or Easter Sunday. I just wanted to maybe start off here with a couple of verses, if I could. And this is uh, just before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus is talking to Martha here. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now that's a real important statement that Jesus made. He is a resurrection. He's a life. If you believe in him, you won't die. Now, I'm reminded of an article I read, oh, about 10 days ago. And to show you the extent, and the last time we talked, you know, we talked about fear. And I read an article about a man who called the police because he heard his neighbor sneeze. What? And the neighbor was inside his house when he sneezed. And I had to ask myself, what could provoke someone to call the police on a neighbor because he overheard him sneeze in his own house? And of course, the answer is fear. Yes. What is the fear of? Is the fear of catching a cold? No. Is it fear of getting the flu? Yes. But what is the underlying fear? The possibility that they could die. Right. There's a couple of verses, more verses, if you don't mind, I'll read you out of Hebrews chapter 2. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them 
through fear of death, then deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Good verse. Now, this fear, this fear of death brings bondage. And this is really why this man who heard his neighbor sneeze called the police because he's in such fear of death. To give you an example of how this is literally being played out in the world today, you know, the stats change on a daily basis. There is so much contradictory information. The Bible specifically says God is not the author of confusion. And if God is not the author of confusion, who is the author of confusion? Well, obviously, it's the enemy of our souls. But they are in fear of death. And from the latest uh, stats I have seen, close to 3 billion people are in home isolation lockdown. Gosh. Which could be referred to as house arrest. Very close to martial law. Yes. So this man who heard his neighbor sneeze is in such fear through the devil because of the possibility of death that he calls the authorities because he heard someone sneeze and half the world, three billion people, are willing to be locked down through fear. It's just astounding to watch this happening today. I know, it's incredible. Yes, go on, you had something else to add? I was just going to say, Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we know that the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And it's been said that, you know, the, the righteous respect that we have toward God our Father is one form of worshiping. And in this uh, fear, fearful condition that is just pervading and permeating the world today, Satan is getting what he wants, fear, which is a form of subservience to him. Yes, and I've noticed, Robert, that pretty much every preacher and teacher who posts their sermons on YouTube are preaching against fear and pointing people towards the promises in Psalm 91, especially. For my own part, I've had to ration the amount of time I spend watching the news and social media and YouTube posts about the coronavirus, as there's just so much misinformation, conspiracy theories, homegrown cures, and just plain confusion. I honestly can't take it anymore. So I'm tuning in much more now to the Lord and his channel and trying to see what he's doing in all of this. So maybe you guys can fill me in with some of the latest. Well, one of the very latest is a man named uh, Dr. Mitchell Ryan, who's one of the chief executives of the World Health Organization, this is really something. He has said that the COVID-19 virus is pretty much off the streets and into the homes. And he's saying the WHO may have to recommend and promote authorities going into people's private homes and taking, like children, who he says will be very well treated, out of the homes and putting them in comfortable isolation units, despite what the parents say. Oh my say. gosh. This is where the possibility that this is going right now. Unbelievable. But I'll tell you what, I, now this is only a personal opinion. And of course, something like this would uh, be received different in different uh, countries around the world. You know, in a country like China, that would probably be a lot easier to enforce. But in a country, well, of course, I spent many years in the U.S. I think that that would be the line in the sand. I think that that, that would be the Rubicon, that if they do cross that, who knows what could happen? 
Well, I'd like to just make a point there. The person he's mentioning, the, actually the who, they don't have any power to make these things happen. They can, they can have opinions like that, but they cannot implement it. They don't have the power. Not yet. Well, the, the current head of who, uh, let me see if I can locate this man's name. Oh, Tedros Ahanonman. He was a former leading uh, health director in Ethiopia during the Civil War and was on the side of the violent communists trying to take over Ethiopia, and he is now the head of the World Health Organization. And he has spoken very favorably of the draconian measures taken by China, and why shouldn't he? Because he is a communist and a comrade of the Chinese communists. Yes, and China is also investing heavily in Ethiopia, I read, even building a multi-million dollar new world headquarters there for the World Health Organization. I would say here from the UK also, it sickens me to see how pro-China the BBC is. For example, last night I was watching one documentary and, and one of the main points that the interviewer was trying to put to the, um, the head of NATO, Secretary of NATO, he says, have you seen what um, President Trump has said and blaming China for the virus? And you can see the slant in the media all the time. They're coming across with this pro-China, pro-China, pro-China and against nationalism. And it's, you know, all the time you see this, especially in the BBC. I don't know about the American um, the media, but it sickens me, the slant of the BBC all of the time. And I don't know why. Why would they be pro-China? We're a Western nation, but they are pro China. Robert, why do you think this is? Well, it's because of the infiltration of communist infiltrators and, well, New Worlder people who, you know, want to bring about the one world government. You know, in uh, Revelations chapter 12, and this might be an encouragement to some of your listeners who are thinking, you know, my, you know, how do I avoid this deceit? I read something that just clicked uh, just a couple days ago. You know, in Revelations 12, it talks about how the devil cast out of his mouth a flood after the woman. And also in uh, Revelations 13, or Flood of Lies, in Revelations 13, it talks about he deceiveth the whole world. And uh, something that really uh, encouraged me that I hadn't thought of before is in John 15, verse 19, where Jesus said, If ye were of the world, the world would love its own, because ye are, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. So the deceit the world is going to go into we, as Christians, Jesus has called us out of that world. We are in the world, but not of the world. Yes. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Well, let's talk now about what mileage God is getting out of all of this, because, of course, the Lord has an overarching plan in allowing this to happen. The devil thinks he's getting all these victories, but as always, he only ends up shooting himself in the foot. Did you guys have a chance to look at the predictions for 2020 by those various prophets who Sid Roth compiled for his show at the beginning of the year. I just sent it to you. It was only a few hours ago. I didn't have the time personally. Yes, I, I, I did look at them, Simon. Well, these were very interesting and also very encouraging. And there were a number of points on which they all agreed, which I made notes of. And number one, something nefarious and wicked is behind this crisis that will be exposed. The virus is real but there's something else going on. Number two, the virus will dissipate fairly quickly. 
Most of these prophets were saying around Passover time or shortly thereafter. And number three, the effect of this will be to purify the body of Christ and to shape us in our character and prepare us for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the harvest of souls to follow it. This is our hour to shine as Christians. A remnant of passionate ones are awakening to our authority in the Lord. Lukewarm Christianity is on its last legs, and this is setting the stage for one of the greatest outpourings of the Spirit that we will ever see in history. There is a purified remnant rising, a great harvest coming. And they all agreed that fear is a bigger problem than the threat from the virus itself. It is satanic, and we have to command it to go. Yeah, of the prophets you sent me, yeah, one of the ones that impressed me the most was actually a woman named Anna Werner. And she said that this time has come to purify the church and to make the bride white. And we know that's true, of course, that... uh, the Lord allows these things to happen to, uh, well, uh, bring people back to him, bring people back to their what their core should be. As I watched that, also watched that video you sent by uh, Francis Chan. Uh, I, I think he's right in what he's saying that this is a time that God has allowed for reflection and the things of the world that most people are or live their lives around. Let's say whether it's soccer, football, movies, music, has been taken away. And it gives people an opportunity to reflect on God. And this could also very possibly lead to a, a, a harvest. And I read uh, just a few days ago that one of the top Bible producing publishers in the world has said there's been a tremendous surge in the purchase of Bibles everywhere. People, you know, can see that this is extremely out of the ordinary, And they want answers. And, of course, the answers are in the Word of God. Inspiring you to dig deeper into God's Word. You're listening to Nightlight. Well, now I'd like us to talk about some of the definites, some of the absolutes of Bible prophecy. Because there's a lot of pastors and teachers, big-name preachers, talking about the end times and the rapture and the mark of the beast, the second coming, But they're all, at least the ones I've seen, telling their people that the Lord is going to rapture them out of here anytime soon. And also within the comments, I've seen many comments from Christians on YouTube to various posts that people are expecting to be raptured any day now and miss the dark days of tribulation that they can now see are approaching fast. They're in for a sad surprise. Well, that's that's going to be a very sad situation because pre-tribulation rapture, the early church never believed that doctrine. And the doctrine only surfaced in the 1800s with a young Scottish girl who got a so-called uh, prophecy, revelation about the pre-trib rapture. That's right. What I have found many times, and I've even talked to pastors and ministers about this, they, they have a problem confusing the wrath of God with a tribulation period, you know, the seven trumpets, uh, I mean, the seven vials of wrath and the seven trumpets of tribulation. You know, Jesus uh, couldn't be more specific in uh, Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation, 
Of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Yes. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. I know you and uh, Steve and myself, we, we, we do not believe in pre-tribulation rapture at all. And it's going to be a very sad situation when uh, Christians who have adhered to this doctrine see that they have not been taken out of the difficult times that lie ahead. And I'm afraid it could even cause a, a, lack, of, uh, a lack of faith on their parts and said, oh, well, we've been... And of course, that Left Behind series, which was extremely popular. I can't remember how many books were written in that Left Behind series by... I think Tim LaHaye was the name of the man who wrote it. They, they were members of secret societies, by the way, was later discovered. I, I was recently sent an, another uh, idea about uh, Revelations 13, which is, you know, I'll tell you who really knows the Bible better than almost mo better than most Christians who attend a church are the occultists. Right. The occult elite have studied the Bible and they know it, just like their leader, Satan, quoted the word to Jesus. Yes. You know, if thou be the son of God. These people know the Bible. Another thing I hadn't thought of before, but, you know, in Daniel 7, it talks about the Antichrist changing times and seasons. The Bible is very specific in uh, both Daniel and Revelations. Uh, Revelations 12 says, The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days, 1,260 days. And in the same chapter, Revelations 12, it talks about the devil coming down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. The devil is aware of timings. He's aware of God's timings in the Bible. Yes. And it made me wonder, and I, this is not a new revelation. This is only an opinion. And, you know, I, I was just thinking on it. It talks about him changing times and laws. And if it were possible, he shall deceive the very elect. It made me wonder if Satan, in all his perfidy and deception, is going to attempt to try to change in our minds, in the world's minds, the timings given in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation that predict the end of the tribulation, the coming of Jesus, and his soon coming destruction at Armageddon. End time news and views. Stephen, back to you. Do you have anything to add at this point? Yeah, I would. Um, I'm especially concerned about the fact that a lot of people out there, they're fretting uh, on the other side of the uh, spectrum. They're fretting and saying that Mark of the Beast is about to be set up and all this. And um, because they obviously don't know their Bibles very well. Yes. And I think we need to set the record straight with Revelation 13. Yes. That no matter how much confusion we see right now, um, I did. I have asked the Lord about this many times and got prophecies about it. And he said, this is like a tidal wave coming in. It does a lot of damage, but then it goes back out again. Wow. But it's not the final thing. It's a test run. It's a test run yes. by the powers that be. And uh, I personally, from everything I've studied, I mean, it seems to me that we were dealing with a, something that could have been deliberate, maybe not uh, a bioweapon, something that is more than it seems. But it's a test run of what their power is, how much they can do what they've done. And it's amazing to me, none of us would have imagined six months ago that just a simple virus would lock down the, most of the world. It's incredible. And 
This, though, is not the end. I, I want to encourage people that this is not that tomorrow there's going to be a knock on the door with some sort of like Nazi like new police is going to arrest you for being a Christian or something like that. It hasn't got that far. And how do we know it hasn't got that far? Simply because there's certain things mentioned in the Bible that has not happened yet. Right. And one of them is the man of sin has not been revealed. The man of sin is not on the scene. I, I agree with Stephen. My, my feeling is that this is a test run also for something that's going to come along that's going to be much bigger. And as far as, you know, Jesus coming tomorrow or next week or whatever, as Stephen was saying, there are definite signs in the prophetic books in the Bible, in Daniel, in Matthew 24, in the book of Revelations. And one of the very significant signs is the Antichrist, when he does arise, is going to be signing a covenant, a seven-year peace covenant that will bring some type of temporary peace to the Middle East. And it's in the middle of this seven-year covenant. And it's during that time where it would appear that the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Uh, in the middle of this seven-year covenant, where he breaks the covenant, and that begins the three and a half years of great tribulation. As Steve was saying, we're, we're at least seven years, unless the covenant has been signed in secret, but I see no evidence that it has. The closest thing I've seen to it is uh, Jared Kushner's deal of the century. That seemed to have flopped at this particular point in time. We know that unless it's been something that has been done in secret, that there are at least seven years before the return of Jesus, because it's at the end of that tribulation, from that verse I quoted in Matthew 24, that is when Jesus returns and says, every eye shall see him and every knee shall bow. And it's also at the end of that seven-year period when the Battle of Armageddon occurs that takes place in Megiddo. I've actually been able to visit and view the, uh, the actual battlefield. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing place. Yeah, we drove there together. Remember, Robert, when we filmed the coming temple documentary in Israel? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. It's, it's after that battle of Armageddon. I mean, there's many details that go in here. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 goes into great detail about who the combatants are. And that's another thing. You know, right now, it seems like the whole world is going with this lockdown. But there are combatants. And we know that there are different wars, according to Daniel chapter 11, that take place between the Antichrist and his uh, armies and those who are in opposition to him. And, of course, two of those wars are in the first half of the Antichrist's seven-year reign, which is before the institution of the Mark of the Beast. Signs of the Times Well, talking about the Mark of the Beast, I know a lot of people are worried about what Bill Gates is up to as he's spoken of plans to introduce a mandatory vaccine that will have some kind of a micro RFID chip in it, by which authorities can tell whether you've had the vaccine or not. So a number of people are fearful that this could be the infamous mark of the beast of Revelation chapter 13. But we can know for certain that this is not the actual mark of the beast, because we know from Bible prophecy that this won't be made mandatory until three and a half years into the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. Not only that, but in Revelation chapter 14, 
verses 6 through 11, you have the three angels flying around the earth, and the first angel preaches the everlasting gospel to every nation on earth, saying with a loud voice, verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Then the second angel announces the fall of Babylon, which most biblical scholars say represents the world's political, religious, and commercial system at the time of the end. And then in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, it says the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, presumably, this strong, supernatural, very graphic warning will happen before the mark of the beast is introduced. Otherwise, there'd be no point of an angel warning people not to take the mark if they'd already taken it. So this angel has to be at the beginning of the last three and a half years, warning the world, don't take the mark. And so the introduction of the mark of the beast happens after the fall of Babylon and after the first angel has preached the gospel to the whole world. These are mighty, incredible supernatural events that will be visible and audible to the whole world, and they happen before the mark of the beast is introduced. Isn't this correct? Yes, that is. And something else that shows, that shows that the mark of the beast cannot be forced and mandatory because they are given a choice. Right. And it's important to notice also that everywhere it warns of the punishment for taking the mark of the beast, it's not just for taking the mark, but also for worshipping the beast. And you can see it right here in Revelation 14, 9. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. So it's a lot more than just taking a mark so you can go shopping, but it's combined with the actual worship of the beast and his image. In other words, they will give their souls in the worship of the devil in the same way that we give our souls to Jesus. Yes. Um, Simon, I wanted to bring an important point here, exactly on this. This is to do with the spiritual side of things. Now, I've been looking at what's been happening here in the UK, and I'm actually impressed with how many nice people there are here coming to the fore in time of crisis. You have like 750,000 volunteers willing to do anything to help the NHS, uh, sacrificing their time, maybe even their health. Wow. And it got me to thinking, wait a minute, we cannot possibly be having the mark of the beast right now because there's too many nice people around. 
I mean, really sacrificial people around. And if you read the book of Revelation and what people are like in that chapter you mentioned in chapter 14 and also in chapter 13, once they're given over to the beast in a big way, they sound more demonic than, than uh, human beings. Yes. And I don't see the, the people on the earth to have got to that level yet. So now the big question is, what is going to change things in the future? We know there's a big event coming. I'd just like to read this from, from Revelation 12. And it says in Revelation 12, 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, the good side of things is the next verse where it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Yes. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Yes. But it doesn't say much good for those on the earth when he continues to say, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, for he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And here again, like what you stated before, was the devil himself knows he has a short time. And I'd like to reassure those who are afraid of the mark of the beast can just slyly come round the corners out of this present confusion. You don't have to worry about that because these things written in the Bible, you just need to know your Bible really well, know the book of Revelation, especially chapters 12 and 13 regarding the spiritual warfare involved and bringing on the mark of the beast and the image of the beast. But this verse I mentioned here from Revelation 12, 7, what's so important about this is to know there is, a, there is a specific time when there's war in heaven and the devil is given the boot, is kicked out with all his fallen angels and they are kicked into the earth. And once they're kicked into the earth, they are going to be looking for people to possess and take over. And that is when I believe a lot of the people will change from how they are today to being the way they'll be controlled, controlled as according to the book of Revelation. That has not happened yet. People are not that controlled. People, oh, there's a lot of good people. It's never completely dark when you're listening to Nightlight. Very interesting, Stephen. And that's a verse that I always wondered about, the war in heaven between Michael and his angels against Satan and his angels. Now, this also happens at the three and a half year mark, right? At the midpoint of the Antichrist's seven year reign. Satan and his angels lose the battle. They're cast out of the spiritual world into the earth. Satan possesses the Antichrist and the demons and devils enter into the Antichrist's followers who at this point become devil-possessed. Right now, as God's children, we fight spiritual battles against the enemy and his demons who are trying to attack us and oppress us in the spirit. But it seems to me that when they're thrown out of the spiritual realms and are going to be on earth 
inside of evil people that the spiritual atmosphere around us will be clear of demonic influence and our spiritual connection and channel will be clean and we will have increased power for the Holy Spirit to work through us and we'll be able to do those wonders and signs and miracles because our power will be increased. What do you think about that? Yes, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses me for our God day and night. I think it is absolutely true. I mean, look at these verses that continue from what I read before. 13, Revelation 12, 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, why is he persecuting the woman? Because he, the woman is being a big nuisance to him because now she's recalled her power and her fire and her abilities and even supernatural powers and, and abilities do a lot of damage to the devil's kingdom. So his number one enemy is going to be the woman. Now, a lot of people say today, well, a lot of Christians I know, they're not doing much for Jesus, you know, and uh, make jokes of it. It's not going to be like that then. Right. There's going to be a force to be reckoned with. The devil himself is going to be afraid of them. And wow. therefore, as it says, when he saw he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman because she was doing something. She was a great witness. Obviously, because supernaturally empowered, as you correctly say, as the evil powers are taken away from the spirit world, they can no longer afflict us and um, oppress us, and therefore our connection will be 10,000 times stronger or something of that order. It's <laughs> something to look wow. forward to. Yes. And I would say to people, don't worry about the present. The present is just, the Lord revealed to me, it was like a tidal wave coming in, but it does some damage, goes back out again. But it's not final. We will recover from this. Praise God. But much stronger things will come in the future, but not to worry also, because for the faithful, God will give them the power it, when the time comes, and our connection with heaven will be much stronger than it is today. Lighting your path through the end times. You're with Nightlight. Anything you'd like to add to that, Robert? Well, uh, those same verses in Revelation 12 talk about, and now has come salvation, which is interesting because it would seem to go along again with the uh, the diminishing spiritual powers that the enemy has. The dragon was cast out, and now, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That would seem to back that up. Yes, that now has come salvation, now has come strength, now has come the kingdom of our God. Now has come the power of his Christ. The accuser is cast down. You know, just like in the book of Job, you know, Satan said to uh, to the Lord, skin for skin, what will not a man give for his life? Satan is the accuser. And God said, where have you been? I've been walking up and down in the earth. Satan has often been uh, depicted as a prosecuting attorney showing to God, you made this mistake. He made that mistake. He made that mistake. Now convict him. You know, when God could convict us or convict us for our sins, our mistakes, in steps Jesus and said, this is what he did on Easter. He said, I'll take the punishment for him. Give it to me. Let him go. So now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren, us, Satan, is cast down. And of course, there's going to be a greater connection. Well, we're already saved by faith, 
but there's going to be some kind of other change there, some other element of salvation that kicks in at that particular time. He said, then they loved not their lives unto death. It is going to be a supernatural anointing, perhaps something like Elijah had, or uh, Elias, or many of the prophets, or John the Baptist seeing, seeing the dove descending. Wow. So yes, it will be a time of trouble, time of tribulation, but God will not leave us defenseless. He is going to pour out his spirit in such a way that it has likely never been poured out before in the history of this world. Yes, as it's poured out on the two sackcloth prophets who are standing in Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 11, prophesying and pronouncing all manner of plagues upon the Antichrist nations. And they do this for the entire three and a half years of the tribulation. And there's nothing that the Antichrist and his military security forces can do to stop them. I mean, that's going to be incredible. They'll be the champions and the heroes of the Christians. And then the devil, unable to attack us spiritually anymore, comes after the woman of Revelation chapter 12, the church, physically. In verse 6, it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there, 1,260 days. Again, that's the three and a half years of the tribulation. And I just realized, and this will be a comfort to any of you who thought that as a Christian, you might be faced with the choice of taking the mark. This fleeing of the church into the wilderness, which is mentioned again in verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time, that again is three and a half years, from the face of the serpent. So this means that the church is supernaturally flown into the wilderness refuge that the Lord has prepared for her at the same time as the mark is being made mandatory on the penalty of death. So all of the Christians who've fled into the wilderness will not be faced with that choice. Nightlight Insights. Simon, could I put a factor there that I'd like to bring on exact point, uh, which I've written in some of my latest books. I think in uh, Jubilee's Insights, I've written about this verse here. What I was receiving when I was praying about it and asking about this, I was I was getting that nobody needs to be afraid of those times because not only will God empower his elect and his people, he will empower them in such a way that it doesn't matter what the devil's got. It doesn't matter if he's got all this modern technology. You know, they have they have satellites now that can pick up an image on the ground the size of a sixpence. You, they, they have all kind of technology that can track you through tracking devices and mobile phones and know every location anybody is on the planet. So when, if you think about this in, the, in the, your mind, you think, wait a minute, how can, how can we escape to a place where, you know, they can't track us and know everything we're doing with modern technology? And I received that, as you were mentioning, you were touching on it before, the greater powers will be given unto us in that time exactly like unto the prophets 
And if you notice, sometimes um, some of the Lord's people, his apostles, like with Thomas, he was witnessing one moment and suddenly disappeared in the spirit and he, he appeared somewhere else. It was Philip. Well, I think people need to see that these things have happened before. If God wants to give powerful enough anointing to his saints in his elite, he can make them disappear in the sense that he can move them around in dimension so that their enemies don't even know they're there. <laughs> wow. You know, talking together about these things has really got me looking forward once again to these days. You know, sometimes I think of some of our friends and brethren who've gone on to be with the Lord, and there have been a, a number of them. And I can picture them right up in heaven right now in the comfort of their heavenly mansions, watching all of this from above. And it's easy to wish you could go and join them and not be here on earth during this terrible time that's coming. But that's not how we should see it at all, is it? Well, if God has called us to this time, he is the one that will have to uh, give us the anointing to go through this time. I mean, the, the Bible says uh, kings and prophets looked to this time period. This is a very, very special time in world history as uh, really the last trumpet says, with the angel standing in the uh, sun and in the sea, that time shall be no more. So we are in the last times, the end times. Shining bright in the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. I'd like to add, I'd like to add something to exactly that. A point here is that for those out there who think the image of the beast and the mark of the beast can just come tomorrow, this chapter 13 is what you need to really study. The chronological order in which things happen in this particular chapter, the 13th chapter, it makes it so very, very clear. Yes. It starts off at the beginning of the chapter. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet was the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. But who gives him the power? The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. It's not the United Nations, it's Satan himself directly giving this power to this one world government when it comes on the scene. And then it says one of his heads were wounded unto death. Somehow, this leader of the coming world government, or known to the world as the Antichrist, he's going to be wounded unto death. And again, imitating Christ, I would say. So the devil is always trying to imitate God or Jesus. And here, I saw one of his heads wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Here would suggest that somebody did try to make war with him, maybe some big country of that, and got blown off the map. So everybody said, well, that's it. We won't try any more wars. But whoever this guy is, the Antichrist, he is not yet on the scene. None of us have seen the Antichrist. We haven't seen a charismatic leader like this. Because it also says about this beast, mentioned in Revelation 13, that when he comes on the scene, he is so charismatic that he's going to win the whole world to him. He does not come on the scene bashing everybody up, enslaving everybody, knocking everybody over. Right. I think what's going on at the moment in the world is playing with psychology. Yes. You lock people up for a season, and then you let them out again. And they're so happy for their freedom, they'll do anything to keep that freedom. 
It's it's uh, psychological warfare that they're playing with at the moment by having these lockdowns. Uh, that's what I think. But it is not the end of all things. I think we're just seeing a big wave. We'll see it, God willing, go back out again. And people will go back to normal. Probably six months from now, people will be wondering, what was that that happened six months ago? <laughs> Except they would have tightened up their controls around the world. That's what I think. They're one step closer to the fulfillment of Revelation 12 and 13. Bringing you peace in the midst of the storm. You're listening to Nightlight. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to share one very encouraging prediction that a number of those prophets saw on the Sid Roth show at the beginning of January. They saw the Holy Spirit moving among young people and millennials and even children, and that there was going to be a mighty harvest among the younger generation. And that makes a lot of sense, because if this is the grand finale, the last chapter of the history of this world, of this present age, it would make sense that God would want to make this the greatest harvest of souls that there's ever been. I was thinking today that this is actually the last chance ever for people to get saved under this dispensation, believing in the Lord purely by faith. I mean, people will get saved in the coming age, the millennium, but it'll be much easier to believe in Jesus then because he'll be ruling the earth from Jerusalem and will be able to physically see the Lord. As Jesus said to Doubting Thomas, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And the era of the world's history is coming to an end where people can believe in Jesus purely by faith. So I think that the Lord will set things up so that the last, final harvest of this dispensation will be much greater than any other harvest that's been before, including the early church, the the Reformation, and in our lifetime, it was the Jesus Revolution. And that's what almost every one of those prophets were prophesying. Some were even prophesying a billion-soul harvest. So that's very encouraging. Well, the, uh, that one video you sent me, uh, the, just to carry on with what you were referring to, by a pastor named Larry Spark, you know, was talking about that identical thing, and he likened what he believed is coming in the harvest that is coming to the uh, Jesus people revolution that took place in the late 60s and early 70s. I mean, there's been a tremendous falling away. I think we all are aware of that. We all know it. As you mentioned, the supernatural things that are going to be happening, an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. These are supernatural things that uh, are going to be seen around the world. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world. Then shall the end come. Yes. I guess just to sum it up, don't let the enemy deceive you and especially scare you. We have promises of God. He has said he will never leave us nor forsake us. I think it's the last book, verse in the book of John. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. There is no temptation taking you. God will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Isaiah 26.3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The Bible talks about bringing every thought into submission. And if we're tempted to fear, 
there's no denying it. There is a temptation with what you see going on. But the thing that overcomes fear is faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to know the word. We need to get into the word. We need to memorize the word. And we need to share the word. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm so happy the way that this conversation has flowed, that we've been talking about the word more than anything else, keeping our minds on the word and not the waves. Stephen, anything else to add? I think because of the occasion, I agree, it's also Easter Sunday today. So I'd just like to quote uh, just from Psalm 46 here. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not we fear, though the earth be removed. Though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. So it hasn't got quite that bad yet. We just need to rest in the Lord and trust Him and wait until things change, because they will. I know the best thing you, people can do in time of great trouble, great distress, anguish. I know for some people it's very hard right now. I know personally that for people who are really going through a lot of difficult things right now. But I would just say to them, Go to the Lord in his word and give everything to him and put your full trust and your full weight down on the word of God and he won't fail you. Even if you have to be patient and wait for a while, this, this tumult, this tidal wave of affliction, great difficulty, this COVID-19, it's going to be gone soon. Amen. Amen. I believe it. And thanks so much, Robert and Stephen, for all that you shared, taking us deep into the word and giving us as the words to the song which we will go out on a reason to hope. Bye-bye. Okay, God bless you, Simon. Thanks so much, Simon. God bless Steve. Bye. Prison of a planet, warplanes in the sky, holes in the ozone. They're working on the first clone of a brave new world and the cyborgs that will man it. There's only one thing that keeps me believing that the world in which I'm living will still be here in a hundred years. You of the ones who are threatening to enslave us as the global entity takes over i'm running for the cover of the promise lord that you will come and save us there's only one thing that gives me the incentive to hold on through the ending and that's the fact that you'll soon be coming back you are the reason for the hope that's 
no longer cope. You are the reason I don't give way to despairing. Your promise of returning.